Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you will, would you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review? It would help get this podcast out to more people. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please recommend it to your friends and your network. We have a great episode for you today. Um, we speak with Peyton Jones. He's an author, a trainer. He's a coach, the founder of New Breed Training, which is a gathering of, of church planters heeding the call to plant churches in broken places. We discuss some of Peyton's new book called Church Plantology, and we get into some very fun conversations that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. So without further ado, here's Peyton Jones. Peyton Jones, thanks for coming. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's always good to have a a, a ministry ninja like yourself on the on the podcast. Well, you never see us coming. That's the thing about ninjas. You know, they steal out of the shadows, they strike hard, and then they're gone. You yeah. don't even know if it's been a ninja or not. I know. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, you might just disappear in the middle of this. We'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> that could happen. Uh, yeah. I just. Uh, how did you get into being this uh, church planting guy? Um, as far as you know, your ministry trajectory. What did that look like? How did you get into it? Mm. Um, wh- why are you doing this with Jesus? I, I love that question because I hate being any any kind of a guru at yeah. all. I hate it. And I just folded down a episode that or a podcast that ran for 450 episodes. Wow. I was like, you know, I, I don't think I have more than eight, eight and a half years worth of stuff to say. Yeah. And it's been kind of repetitive. But, you know, I'm getting ready to start a new one um, called the Church Plantology Podcast, which will tell the stories of missionaries all over the world. Mm. But I suppose my uh, trajectory has kind of been backwards. You know, I, everybody, not in our tribe, of course, but back in the 80s and, and 90s, I suppose, everybody wanted to be the head of a mega church, right. um, you know, various levels. And I was there. You know, um, and God called me to the mission field and I left everything behind in Huntington Beach, California at a church of 2000, ended up overseas in a Presbyterian church that had belonged to Lloyd-Jones. And that was where, even though in the domination I was in, we had planted in Hungary, New Zealand, and I was always kind of the more evangelistic side of things. I went to Martin Lloyd-Jones's church as an evangelist and church planning just kind of fell into that, but I did not 
see myself as a church planner. In fact, 9-11 had hit and I had um, lost my support from the States, uh, dropped in half. So I had to go work with my wow. hands. So over the the next 17 years, I was a firefighter. I was a barista. I know you and I share that in yeah. common at one stage. Um, I was a, you know, I'm an RN. So that's part of my background. That's how I became a firefighter, factory mm-hmm. worker, and just, you know, started unlearning what I had learned in ministry. It was really kind of like the unmaking of Peyton Jones that brought yeah. me to church planning. And fast forward, I'm, I'm quit ministry after a certain number of years because I took a, uh, a church that split over the language when I was in Wales, UK. And, um, and that mm-hmm. broke my pastoral heart. I was trying to hold it together. It was splitting. I just said, you know, God, I think I'm done with this too much yeah. heartache, too much, you know, I'm wimping out. I'm tapping. Tough. And I ended up going to be that barista in a Starbucks and ended up starting this discussion group about Dan Brown, Da Vinci code, 30 non-believers turned up first week, 40 second week, it was only supposed to be a one night only gig, wow! but that got me back in the church plane. Cause I'm like, I could do this all day. Yeah. Bunch of non-believers in the room in Europe talking about Jesus with no agenda, not even trying to start a church. Yeah. I'm into this. Mm. And I would say ever since then, the way that I help people start churches is I tell them, don't even worry about the church. You just focus on God and people. Yeah. And let, so let let the church plant do that'll take care of itself if you're doing the other stuff right. Don't even that's church starting. I'm not into that. Church yeah. starting can can be left for others. Church planting is sowing the seeds of the gospel, discipling, and letting yeah. the fruit that the Holy Spirit reaps take place. So that's yeah. kind of my 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 potted history. <laughs> but I love <laughs> it. And I think, you know, as we're engaging in the community, you know, disciple making should should happen. I'll uh, just get into a little bit. You know, when I was working working at Starbucks uh, before my wife and I went to the, the mission field, uh, it was right when I, I first met my wife and uh, we were exploring going to the Middle East, working with Muslims um, and you know, I was working at Starbucks and we were learning Jesus stories every week. And so I would go in to work and I would practice Jesus stories on my coworkers and on customers. And we would just be sharing stories of Jesus all the time. And I remember one time my uh, a coworker came in and she uh, was really disappointed with the church and the hypocrisy of the church. I think another pastor fell from grace. He got caught in some sort of a scandal, a sin. And, and she looked at me and she says, you know, church is just full of hypocrites. Don't you just hate the church? Um, and well, I said, did you know that Jesus didn't like hypocrites either? Um, and she's like, what? I said, well, to everybody who looked down on those around him, Jesus told this story. And I shared the story of the Pharisee, the tax collector with her. Um, And halfway through that story, she said, stop, stop, stop. And she ran over. She got another one of our coworkers and pulled him in and said, you have to hear this. This is so good. And so shared the whole story of the Pharisee and tax collector. And we ended up having a, a conversation about Jesus instead of uh, the hypocrisy of the church. It wasn't me defending the faith, defending church. God is able to do that. Um, but it was uh, then we had this conversation about Jesus. And I found that in places like that, in a workplace like that, I was able to have a lot of Jesus conversations uh, that led to some really good fruit 
that I wouldn't otherwise have if I was in, you know, the confining walls of a church building um, and trying to, you know, establish something, you know, within those four walls. What did you find as you're in the, you know, in the workplace um, and, you know, as you're walking with people and pointing them to Jesus? What did that look like for you? It was so powerful. I mean, you know, I realized quickly why Paul uh, worked with his hands and why he he went to the marketplace, even in Corinth, and spent 18 months there. Um, after moving, on average, three to four months in each town, he just, that's when he meets Priscilla and Aquila. And, yep. um, you know, he, he just convalesces in some senses there. But really, I think that became the start of a bivocational uh, empire that, you know, they kind of like a fran- mission franchise, if you want to put it that way. But um, but for me, that was certainly the case where I just, you know, uh, when I went to Lloyd-Jones' church, I was the evangelist. So I remember asking stupidly, well, what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you share the gospel. But for a year, man, I did all this stuff like, I would believe it or not, we knocked on doors. I preached in the open air in the square. Like, I did wow. all the crappy <laughs> stuff that they told me. Like, well, this is what an evangelist does. So. I just went and did it. And I told, you know, I mean, it's, it's terrible stuff, right? Like, no, but that's the stuff that makes people run from evangelism. (laughs) And so I did that, you know, we'd have a rugby star come who had given his life to Jesus, throw a dinner with a bunch of men, no beer there, of course, because, you know, it's (laughs) (laughs) teetotal, but, um, but you know, these things, none of them were effective and I don't want to denigrate anyone who does those because, um, I have seen people do every single one of those things extremely well, and they impress me. But I certainly was not good at it, um, and and there was no fruit. But you know, lo and behold, nine eleven hits. I got to go work in the factory, um, and within man maybe four or five weeks, three people come to faith. Wow! On that assembly line, and I'm like, okay. And then when I became a firefighter, man, it was, it was tough. That was a rough environment. If yeah. anyone's ever been in a pseudo military um, outfit or even military itself, it's, it's really tough. And I was seasoned, mm-hmm. man, but that was, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So I could take my family members in and out of jail. So it was, it was easy for me to slot into a rough environment, but um, that was a whole new challenge, but they watched mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And they watch me forever. I worked there four years after three years of seeing consistency. They started talking to me. Wow. It, it took three yeah. years. I, wow. I felt like a failure there, yeah. but they were just sizing me up, man. And mm. uh, it was, it was cool. Yeah. I, I mean, that's going to be heartening for, I have uh, a guy in my home church that's a firefighter and he just, he just became a firefighter maybe a year ago or so um, and just moved down here to Kansas City. Um, and he's he's struggling in the middle of 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 that, of being in that environment of, you know, he's fine. He found another believer in there and they do some things and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's good. But, you know, he wants it to be something where he he shows Jesus to these people and, you know, helps yeah. encounter and. Uh, if it's going to take that long, you know, it would be good for him to hear, like, you know, that's a tough environment that y- you could do it. Well, though. firefighters think about stuff on a deep level. Cause I mean, you know, I hate, I hate to say this, but I mean, some of the stuff we were called into where drunk drivers had just killed 
oh, you know, man. unjustly a, a family or we would, we would go to house fires where kids had died. And, you know, um, of course my station officer made me the chaplain as well. So if I wasn't actively on the fire or whatever, sometimes I'd be walking over and talking to the, the grandpa who had just mm. accidentally uh, killed his grandkids, you know? And so all those kinds of things, you know, you, you realize that these guys, they're thinking about things on a very, very deep level. And they're trying yeah. to make sense of the world. And that's part of the reason it's a slow burn. But also, too, um, I think that when you're when you're dealing with people sizing you up, you know, everybody has problems. And yep. eventually what I notice is, you know, they would eventually it was almost kind of like a, a beacon of light, a lighthouse. You don't need a lighthouse um, except yeah. for when you're about to get shipwrecked. And sometimes it's just that it's that waiting game. It's patience, hmm. being patient for that storm where they need you yeah. and saying, OK, and I've consistently shown this light and shown them safety. And sometimes that takes people like it takes some time to yeah. trust. The, the lighthouse. Okay. That's safe Harbor. All right. Yeah. Okay. I can go, but they're not going to come to you until, you know, the storm hits. Yeah. I think that, you know, when we're talking about evangelism and I'm talking about church planting uh, with our missionaries, um, you know, one of the things is if we have this lifestyle that tells other people that we hear from God, we, we love him and we obey him. Um, you know, people, that are open and hungry people of peace or so are going to come find us. We don't mm. often find them. They're going to be drawn to what we have. We just have to be obvious <clears throat> about who we are and our faith. Yeah. And I think there's so many people that are in the workplace that don't, aren't obvious about their faith. Um, not in an obnoxious way, but just in a genuine way that, Hey, I have mm. this faith in Jesus. I hear from him. I obey him. I, uh, I put things into practice in my life. Um, how can we be obvious in in those workplace settings uh, without being mm. obnoxious and spiritualized? Things? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm not the best evangelist, but I do think that consistency that you hit on there is key. And I also think, you know, just being natural, like, if God's a piece of your life, don't mute that part of the conversation. Like I used to, I used to find, um, if I said anything in my work environment, because I've, I've been a tent maker for many, many years. Um, <laughs> I was like the man with a million jobs at one point, but uh, <laughs> window cleaner, um, policy writer for a, a special you know, place at um, housing consortium for people with special needs. I mean, I did so many different jobs just for mission. As a, I, I got the nickname Ninja because I moved around. And yeah. But, um, but the, the, the thing that happened for me was I would just include, like, if something rad that I was reading, I'd say, you know, I read this thing today. It was so cool. And I just would mention it like people do, you know, I watched yeah. a show last night or, or I, I would just tell people like, you know, I feel, I feel like God is, is trying to teach me this right now. And, and I would just say something. It wasn't like I had all the answers, but I would just, if he's a natural part of my life, I would just naturally talk about him. But in a way where, you know, like I, I hate math, right? If you yeah. come to me, like the second you talk about math, I switch off, right? <laughs> I can handle one or two sentences. 
And what I would do is I would just throw it out there. And if nobody, I wouldn't keep talking about it. Yeah. But I often found people started to feel safe around me and they would say, oh, that wait, God's trying to teach you peace. What do you mean? Mm. What is peace? Like, what is that? Like, I know what peace is with war, but what do you mean? Like peace, like, like inner tranquility, kind of yoga yeah. peace. And those were great conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would just say just those little throwaway comments, man. Like, mm-hmm. like if you read something cool, you talk about it. If I saw the C.S. Lewis movie, I talk about it because that yeah. thing was the bomb. If you haven't seen that thing yet, that thing was the bomb. Yeah, I'm, so, <laughs> I would, I'm still I missing going it. to work and oh, you got to see it, man. Everybody, yeah. you got to see it <laughs> in theaters till November 25th. <laughs> the most I, reluctant I convert. Stock. Uh, you do have some stock in it. I know. I know. Uh, I mean, you, you're also somebody, especially when you're, when you train and do things, you, you like to use a lot of analogies from, from movies. Um, and so what, what is it of, of, you know, of film, of movies, of things that we can take and learn? How can we actually learn from that, uh, and grow oh, in man. our relationship with Jesus? <clears throat> Okay, so Josh, you're really good at what you do, man, because um, these are great questions. Like you're obviously a missionary evangelist. You've you've done this. You've been there, done that. Because uh, for me, I suppose it comes back to being in the UK and just being surrounded by completely unchurched people. Like Mm -hmm. when I first moved there um, in the town I was at, I was in a steelworking town called Port Tyler, pretty rough place, working class. Um, This is a scar here. That's not a wrinkle um, Mm -hmm. over my left eye, eyebrow that... Um, rugby player just put me down six weeks into the country, knocked me out, put me wow. in the hospital case of road rage, just a rough place. And, um, you know, but I, I quickly learned, like if I said anything about the Bible, this survey that came out, uh, it's, they asked him what's Easter and, um, school kids were like, well, I think it's when the groundhog comes out. Right. And sees a shadow. <laughs> and one person said, isn't that when like Jesus is fire, his head opened up and fire shot out and went all the way to heaven. And, and so wow. you, you realize like the, 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 the Christian popular religious, sorry, church right. going attendance, that could be Moss temple, um, whatever it is, uh, church, it was 1.6 it's today wow. 1.3. And the, the, the evangelical presence was a third of a percent. Um, and you know, so it was kind of like, well, you know, they really don't know anything. So I learned like the matrix came out the mm. year that I got there in 99 and I just talked to people about the matrix all the time. Um, non-believers. And I even made a, uh, a little handout I could give people, make them think, man, that was so effective. People got it. They're like, yeah, like there's this whole world. Like, that's right. You're being kept blinded to yada, yada. And then the other thing was, um, it just became second nature. Like you could not preach or or talk to people about the Ark of the Covenant. It just it would take forever. They had no Bible background. You had to teach them classes to even get to what atonement meant. So I just go, hey, you know, like on that box on Rares of, oh yeah, 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 Rares of Lost Ark. <laughs> and and so it to me, it became a language that I mm. learned to speak, pop yeah. culture, something we shared in common that you know, it was kind of like the master has needed this donkey, you know, we're going to ride the gospel in on the back of whatever uh, movie this is. So just to, to quickly just say, like, I started watching um, films and all that kind of stuff for almost for gospel ends. So like 
that movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, right? When yeah. that thing came out, I couldn't believe what I'd been given. So here's this mm-hmm. movie. It opens the opening shot says, God has not abandoned us on this poster. People miss all this stuff in this movie. Um, yeah. And then, and then uh, before his family dies, Will Smith's daughter says, Hey, dad, mom, teacher says, whenever we see a butterfly, it's a, it's a sign that God's with us. Then fast forward, mm-hmm. when he finds the cure, he puts it in the blood and he's barricading himself and he's shouting behind this bulletproof glass. I can save you. I can save you. The, 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 the cure is in the blood. The blood can save you. And he's shouting this out <laughs> and they start banging themselves onto this bulletproof glass and they crack it and he's shocked. But what his shock is, is when you see the crack, it forms a butterfly pattern. Wow. And when it forms and people miss this. Yeah. But there's this thing. And then he realizes God's with me. He gives the blood to them, which ends up saving humanity. And he sacrifices himself like Christ at that moment so that the world can be saved. So you look at these things, you're like, okay, somebody was thinking in that, right? Yeah. Uh, again, there was just a conversation and people are like, wow, that's it. Not Christians, but non-Christians. Yeah. Say, you know, it's kind of like that. That was, that. that's, you know, that's, that's God. Huge. And they, yeah. And, and so I just learned to have those conversations and they were really effective. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so good that wherever you're at, whatever place that you're at, you have to learn the language of the people that you are encountering. Even if it's in in Christendom, if you're going, you know, we work interdenominationally. So we have to change our language depending on which denomination we're speaking to. Um, uh, Do you see that play out in other other ways, speaking language, uh, different language to to others for effectiveness? I do. Uh, One of my favorite examples of this is Bono. Um, there was a book years ago called Bono on Bono, and it was just Bono from U2, um, who's, you know, not shy about his faith at all. But he mentions um, at one point he he discusses, um, he tries to explain what Christ did on the cross in this way. And I'll just give a, a quick recap. He says, you know, every religion in the world has karma, the idea of karma. Yeah. That. If you do good things, good things happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things happen to you. And usually it meets you in the next life. And he goes, but here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity says, yes, you're building good karma and bad karma, but you only get this one shot. Hmm. And he goes, and then after that's judgment. But he goes, but Christianity introduces something that no other religion does. This concept of grace. Hmm. And he said, the only way grace could be possible is Jesus comes and says, look, I will live a perfect life only with good karma. I will just earn all the good karma you never could. And then I'm going to die for you. And when I die for you, I'm going to take all your bad karma on me and give you all my good karma. And that's called grace. And he goes, and Jesus changed the game on a dime. And he goes, Mm -hmm. so... He goes, if karma's my judge, he says, I'm pretty screwed. He yep. goes, and this is what he said. So I'm holding <laughs> out for grace. And, you know, to me, mm. it was so beautiful. He yeah. just explained the heart of the gospel in 60 seconds using different language, like the yep. word karma. That'd be anathema to most people <laughs> right. in seminary hearing that. And yet the non-believer next to you, and I know, of course, you've been, you know, in, in, 
you know, different countries where this might be more helpful, but for, for him, man, I mean, the second he put it like that, something clicked in me and I have used that with people so often. Um, and I think language we have to, you know, uh, CS Lewis used Dao, Taoism, uh, so many different people have, have taken language and used it for the gospel to, if, if it's going to save time and if it's going to save souls, go for it. Yeah. I say, use it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, it's almost a amalgamous to what uh, Jesus did. It's just using, uh, the objects in front of him to to make his point. Um, we're using, you know, what people understand, the understanding of the common person in the the area and the context that we're in uh, to share truth um, and to share with them what does it actually look like so that they can get it. Yeah, that's good. So what do you think as you're, you're looking at people, what's this... What's the status of uh, of the church uh, in the West uh, and church planting? Where do you think we're we're headed? What do you think the next wave is? The next thing is so that we could see the gospel saturate communities and and places. Man, I think I'm so boring on this, you know, because uh, I'm I'm probably I mean you and I. Uh, do do a bit of traveling with and around um, Alan Hirsch mm-hmm. and his concept of the forgotten ways is really central to, to my way of thinking that um, the, the, I mean, I run a, a network called new breed and we always joke and say it's old breed because <laughs> to me, I'm not a futurist. I don't have a crystal ball. And I, I always am suspect when someone says the next thing for the church. And I think, how much money do you want? Cause I can just give you my wallet and give you money because um, it's such a gimmick and it's so yeah. hokey. Right. And I know that's not what you're asking. You know where I'm going with yeah. this, but um, it's, it's kind of like a, for me, the key to the church's future has always been in its past, not an antiquarian love of like the reformation or an antiquarian love of your favorite preacher from a hundred years ago. I literally mean, um, back to the first century yeah. and as rife as they were with problems and heresy and all kinds of things that, yes, they had the same problems because they had the same people. Um, but the, the reality is they, they had a different form of uh, mission that, as Alan points out, comes out of the Christology. So in my latest book, Church Plantology, I start off by contrasting the um, difference between church starting and church planting Mm -hmm. and church planting is what Paul and the apostles did. It's what Jesus spent three years training the 12 to do. And those principles to me, and I know you'll, you'll appreciate this as a missionary. um, They're timeless. There are principles in the new Testament. You see it in scripture. I have three overlapping circles. You see it in scripture. Um, It was just something Jesus or or Paul did Is is it, and it's not like for a prescription, but it's just, is are there principles, not methods, but principles yep. that they approached mission with? And can I see that working today on the global mission front? And that's not pragmatism. That's literally um, that's what defines a principle. Methods are are time bound, but yep. uh, principles are timeless. And then the third circle is well, surely if it's in scripture and it works today. Uh, on mission frontiers, then surely in periods of church history, not just Western church history, but, uh, uh, you know, global church history, 
there would have been times where these principles were enacted, like during the Celtic yeah. mission movement or during the Yugoslav uh, movement in the 400, uh, in the fifth century, or during, um, you know, even the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The Moravians or the, you know, surely yeah. you would see these principles and sure enough you do. And so it, it, those three circles where they overlap to me, that's a church plantology principle. And that's what the book kind of follows. And it puts it in the term of not, um, you know, innovating because innovating means I'm an inventor and yeah. I don't want to be an inventor, right? I want to be a scientist. So the book church plantology, it is called the science and art of yeah. church planning because the science is that principle that's embedded in the fabric of the universe. APAS is one of those, of yeah. course. Um, and then the, the art is, you know, how you live out. That's where you get to be an artist and creative yeah. and that's where the innovation, but the science part of it, it each um, heading is rediscovering. I feel like, you know, kind of like Alan, you need, we need to rediscover. There are things right. that our forefathers knew and at different parts of church history, people, nobody's holding all of the elephant, but if we could regain these principles and that's to me, that's the hope I have for changing the conversation. Cause when Zonderman came and said, Hey, we want you to write this book. I knew that their job was to sell books. Yeah. And I said, Hey, um, the only thing is I like you guys and I've published a book with you before, but you guys know we want to sell books, right? If you let me write your church planning textbook, because it's a textbook, they yeah. stuck it next to Keller's and they said <laughs> Keller's was like a manifesto of city, city, urban ministry. They said, well, we need a church planning textbook, same size, same, same ilk. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll break your church planning library. You know that, right? Like this is going to be the opposite of, of probably what's going to sell books. And they said, no, uh, credit to them. They said, wow. no. We, if that's the case and it's going to, it's going to change the game. I don't think it changes a game. I just think for our tribe, Josh, yeah, it, the missional, you know, Alan, you, me, Hugh Halter, Brian Sanders, the, the people that we probably travel with, yeah, they've said, finally, we have a book, you know, Brad Briscoe, mm -hmm. that it was Brad yeah. was the first one to say, this is our book. Yeah. Um, like this book isn't like, we don't have to shed all this baggage yep. to learn about church planning. This is what our tribe is. This is our tribe's book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so good. And it's like being an archeologist that you're unearthing, um, what has already been there and what's actually embedded already in the body of Christ and what, what yes. is the DNA that God has put in there and Jesus as you know, upon Peter, the rock, as he built his church, saying these are the DNA, the bedrock of the DNA of what it looks like to be the church and be the body. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we've taken in the West, I think, hey, we have these principles of of basically starting starting and running institutions and, you know, if we can get away from starting and running institutions into a place where we're discovering what is the the DNA and we're building upon the bedrock and of DNA, the foundational stuff that Jesus has laid in there and it's latent, that we can discover that again, that we could rediscover, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, different different methods, different variations on that, but that DNA is going to be core and it's going to be the same across the board. So I, I, 
said, thank you for putting those principles into play uh, because those principles are, are key is what we have to keep at the forefront of what mm-hmm. we are doing and where we're going um, so that we could we could play around and be that artist that you said um, with those principles um, because there's so yeah, many different contexts out there. Yeah. And that, and that's the key, you know, is um, one of the things that we said is, you know, these principles help us basically take the gospel anywhere to anyone at any time. That's what those three overlapping circles actually mean. And, uh, and that's kind of what I'm interested in, you know? And so for me, for this generation coming up, um, my hope is that, you know, we get to corrupt them more um, and corrupt them in a good way. Uh, (laughs) Like Socrates, all, all, all teachers really want to corrupt the next generation. Well, I think the the next generation and the generations to come, I think, you know, what you're seeing in, uh, especially in Gen Z, is that you're seeing something of their yearning for and wanting community and being with one another in a different way than we've seen for a while. And, you you know, a lot different way than Baby Boomers, Gen X. Um, as we're trying to go our own way, individualism, I think we're actually seeing something shift and change, uh, yes. even here that they're, they're hungry for a new way. And, you know, one of the things in the, in the book that I lay down is kind of something dear to my heart is, um, ministry in public space. My second yeah. book was called, um, it's funny you mentioned archeology. span My second book was called, Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art. <laughs> and um, my first book is called Church Zero. I'm not trying to sell books. I'm just, there's a <laughs> continuity through yeah. all my books where I talk about discussion, um, the power of interaction with this generation. And so in Church Zero, I start with this mm. whole idea of, you know, coming into church, we don't sit in rows. We sit in, a, in half circles. Yeah. And there's small groups hardwired into the into yep. the church, like when we That's gather. Okay. Yeah. And that, and it came from like starting a church in a Starbucks or, you know, in collegiate towns where interaction was key. Everything I do is highly interactive, yeah. but it's more this generation. They have told us, we don't just sit and listen or watch anything. We interact. And I look back at the early church and there's like 32 one another's in the New Testament. <laughs> and I'm like, man, where can we do this? Well, we do this. The church is wired for this. Like, that whole uh, recent thing about, you know, uh, meta, the metaverse that, um, you know, Facebook said, you know, we're going to connect people in a new way. The church should have been the place where people were connecting. I mean, AA, you know, took the principles of small groups and you, and brilliantly used it for um, transformation. You know, this is our domain. This is what we excel at is connection. But if you're just going to preach at people, and I'm, you know, I, I got no problem with preaching. I'm, I'm a fan of preaching. I think preaching is great. But if you don't give people a chance to talk back yep. and to interact, you've lost this next generation. Yeah. And uh, so I spend two whole chapters in this book. It's a tenth of the book actually talking about how do you do this? Mm. How do you do ministry? How would you rock? Uh, uh, an open mic night in the gay coffee house. So that's what we did in the rainbow district in long beach when I was playing there. Um, <laughs> it was brilliant. I mean, yeah. it was just like, 
these are the things you go into ministry for, right? I quit over the other stuff years ago, but um, <laughs> this is the stuff that got me back in and kept me back in. It doesn't look like conventional ministry, really, but it's what keeps me in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you have that. and But even, you know, people that are in these uh, institutionalized churches, I think, you know, some people that are from my staff goes, they went to a local church here, they go to a local church here, and through their influence, they have changed, one, they've changed the seating structure, so they actually gather around tables on a Sunday morning instead of in rows, um, and so that means that after, you know, the, the pastor gives a 20-minute sermon, that there's a discussion group built in right there. And so they have questions, you know, discovery Bible questions from yeah. from the, the sermon and the passage. And it's taken a long time to reorient the that body to be able to say, oh, we're supposed to actually do something about this and learn and, and implement yeah. what we we have. But they're doing it. And so even somebody in this institution can change the model and the game a little bit. Yeah. And I noticed, you know, it was really funny when I, when I plant like this, um, Christians come check it out. Don't like it. Leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people that are just on this new journey with Jesus and just finding him, they love it. Yep. And your church service, you know um, it, it's not, I say church service, but it's not like you're, it, how do I, how do I put it? It's like this interactive living, breathing thing. Yeah. Um, sounds so boring when you say church service, but it has everything. It has discipleship hardware, evangelism, laying on of hands, praying for one another, communion. Like it's all this worship. But but the the rad thing is is that they don't want to go home. So like yeah. our our services because they had so much interaction, they're like two hours long, and then an hour after everything ended, I'm still going. Everybody go home. <laughs> You know, like <laughs> go eat. You know, we ate at the beginning. Like that was the other thing. We yeah. eat. I always feed people. Like I learned that if you want to know the great missional secret, there's two: feed people, let them talk. You, there's something <laughs> something so first century about that. Yeah. But the, you know, that was just that was it. that's the key to me. But they just you know when people are finding Jesus, man, they they don't want to stop talking. They don't want to stop meeting. Yep. Um, you know. Yeah. And that's that's the place, and we want we want to get to, and it brings life back into people that have been following Jesus for a long time, to have people that are that are first discovering Jesus with them, yeah. Um, and that's where you know I see a lot of you know dying churches of it's because we're not bringing anybody in new that's discovering Jesus, and we're like, hey, what are we doing? You know, and so we yeah. have to, as you're looking at APAS, we have to bring in that evangelistic and we have to bring in the apostolic saying, hey, we're planting new expressions uh, out there. And, you know, we are doing this open night, um, open mic night in this uh, in the Rainbow District. What does it look like to do these new expressions? Yeah. So we have to have that APAS expression or churches are going to end up being stale and dying out. Yeah, that and, and I love that you brought that up because um, I love how Rich Robinson always talks about the Brighton Rock. You know, if you if yeah. you cut it anywhere, Brighton Rock is a candy that has like writing on the inside of it. Anywhere you cut that, it's like a big peppermint stick. Anywhere you cut it, you can see the writing, and it's the same with the this book. Apest goes all the way back to the burden. Why do you want to plant? 
Yeah. Well, probably you're going to say one of five things. Oh, I think people need to know doctrine <laughs> and theology. Okay, teacher. Yeah. Um, or I think people need to know the gospel. All right, evangelist. Or I think, you know, the church needs to to mobilize on mission. And, you know, I, I just want to see the glory of Christ. Okay, apostolic. Yeah. Um, you know, I just want people to know the presence of God. And, you know, they come in and experience, you know. <laughs> okay, prophet. Right. So uh, every at, at, at every set where I want people to grow deep and the church should be a family and disciple. Okay, shepherd. So, yep. so these burdens, uh, I kind of argue in it. Hey, you know, if not just one planner, uh, that's another thing I think we need to get away from. It's team planting. It's yeah. apest. It's Paul's strike teams that we see in the New Testament. Um, it's moving out and planting as a team so the apest is fully represented. Then, when you mentioned earlier, um, you know, like I, I talk about the apest liturgy, that mm-hmm. many of our liturgies are based on one specific function of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you start planting, you get a chance to plant an apes liturgy, liturgy mm-hmm. being used very loosely work of the people, right? Yep. Um, not meaning high church or low church. I, I think both of those are great for different reasons. What element of the prophetic, what element of the apostolic, what element of each of the apes should be represented? What aspect of the function of Christ's ministry is absent in our gathering? And craft an apes liturgy, and the the book kind of unpacks that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's so good that we need to we need to have those, and we need to to really realize that this that the body of Christ is holistic. That there's more elements than our own natural biases towards what we see as. Hey, this is what my motivation is, or this is what I'm passionate about. Um, there's more to it than that. And so we do need one another. Um, that's why there are so many one another's in the in the New Testament. Um, we have to have each other. I was just talking to somebody the other day and she's trying to say, how do we get these get my churches uh, and the pastors in my churches to be focusing on on mission and movement of multiplication? And, you know, the first thing I, I said is, I think the first thing is you need to focus on APEST, that it's not, it's going to take the burden off of the solo pastor and say, yes. oh, I could do this with other people and others have this wiring and gifting that I don't have. So we could do it with each other. And so this pastor, the pastor has to give permission to say, go and run with this and you know I'm here and I'm support but we have to get away from it all runs through one person it's just not sustainable we have to get mm-hmm. to a place of empowering and equipping one another so that the work can get done yeah amen yeah. um a couple a couple of questions uh, I like to ask in the end uh, one is if you could go back to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give? Ooh, I love this question. Okay. So obviously I'm no stranger to, to you two or Bono, right? Um, <laughs> I'm a Bonoist. Do you want to know what denomination I belong to? I'm a Bonoist. If I were to go back, I would tell that young man, he was apostolic um, mm. before it was cool. Right. Because I didn't understand. I had a life cycle in a place like it, it's still to this day doesn't matter you put me in a position you give me a job you pay me a bunch of money you give me an executive card um and i've been there in different roles i don't stay 
<laughs> and it's the apostolic. It, it's you commit career suicide time after time after time. And I remember at one point going, do I have like ministerial attachment issues or something? Like, <laughs> do I need counseling? But I didn't realize I was apostolic. And, and one of the, the really amazing things to me, um, I mentioned Bono because he's got a song on, um, I believe it's either songs of ex- innocence or songs of experience. And um, it's the song where uh, he, uh, this is what it's about. Um, it's about he, as an older man, having a conversation with himself on the stairway, the younger him is sitting mm. there and he's like a ghost and he's um, it's called the little things that give you away. Mm. And he has this conversation with his 20 year old self, um, just breaking into it, signing a record deal. And he starts lecturing him at the beginning of the song mm. and telling him, you know, you, you walked in like you own the place. There's only me that sees there's something wrong there. So he's psychoanalyzing <laughs> his younger self. Wow. But what's amazing in the song is it flips around and his younger self starts admonishing his older self <laughs> with some of the things he forgot. And so I am, I am always aware that I knew things then that I've forgotten now. Yeah. And I know things now I wish he knew then. What have you been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Ooh, I'm on this weird journey right now. Um, I'm reading um, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. Um, that Shane Claiborne uh, edited. I'm finding that fascinating and amazing for my walk. Um, I'm going through this pilgrimage right now. You know, we talked liturgy a bit and I'm looking, when I first got saved, uh, the only church I could get to because I was 15, um, I didn't have a car, uh, was an Episcopal church. And so I learned to worship with um, very high church Mm -hmm. liturgical. And then, you know, I found a, a, a church that, you know, my friends are going to, that I can get to and yada, yada. And so I started going there and I ditched all that. And as I've gotten older, there's a part of me that's kind of grabbing on to the ancient ways yeah. and some of the literature. I, I'm, I don't idolize them, um, but I'm exploring them. And so uh, Winfield Bevins just sent me a, a bunch of books and I'm, I'm reading through those. Um, one is called Simply Anglican. I'm not saying I'm going to become an Anglican. I Peyton Jones and, and um, denominational <laughs> trappings don't do too well. He's tried, um, but I, I love the entire body of Christ. And I like to just celebrate and enjoy what different aspects of the body have. And part yeah. of that's the apest. You see the different apest reflected. Yep. Um, I don't crap over denominations. So I'm like, oh, you're the teacher. <laughs> oh, you're the prophetic. Oh, okay. Yeah. But um, I, I guess I'm always on a quest to see them come together. TV shows, um, believe it or not, I'm just going through The Office. And I just watched last night where Michael Scott left. And I got emotional <laughs> as he's leaving the airport, going to the airport. And I was really shocked that it actually hit me. Like, wow, dude, you have gotten yeah. invested. I've never seen The Office before, and I have just enjoyed this show. I did watch Ted Lasso. I never, but it's hard when you're watching The Office for the first time. Yeah. At the same time as Ted Lasso, to me, nothing can compare to The Office. I am mm. just so enjoying that show. 
<laughs> I love The Office. It's good. I do love Ted Lasso. I'm actually wearing a Ted Lasso. Um, <laughs> believe, moment, yes. Believe. So I'm I'm wearing that. I got that for my birthday. Um, so I love I love Ted Lasso, but I love yeah love The Office. It's of a course. great show. And as a guy that lived in Britain for 12 years, uh, church planting there and adjusting, I there's so many connections. I think mm. does the American audience get this because. That was really funny. It's like a one statement throwaway that they make. And I think, I don't know that people have the cultural equity to get what yeah. they just said, but that was hilarious. Yeah, we had uh, we had uh, a, a duchy in our in our home church for a long time. So, you know, that that Dutch soccer player, just everything yes. that he says and does is so Dutch. It is perfect. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, that so that one line in there in the locker room. He's not being blunt. He's just being Dutch. It's so golden. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. There's so many incredible cultural stuff in there. So yeah. it's it's so good. Well, Peyton, it was just a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, so your your book, Church Plantology, people could go out and find that. Um, and where what else? Where else could people find you? Yeah, anywhere. And they can, you know, if you want to check with me, I'm at newbreedtraining.com. And you can email that if you want to get in touch or, you know, connect. And then, of course, you and I are uh, leading um, 5Q movement planning courses together. Yeah. We've been tag teaming that. So yeah. uh, I, I got to give us a shout out, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's been really fun. It's good. I'm really, really loving it. Um, it's really, really great to to be a part of that and to journey with you in that. Um, so it's been good. So, all right. Yeah, Thanks, brother. Peyton. appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.